Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh without further ado here's part two yeah and see and you know really important question this is i guess more for people who are investing out from where they live but um ask you just touched on a question that i love to ask property managers because that's one of the things that i'll reach out one of the types of uh, industries i reach out to if i'm looking at a new market and I've never been there before. I'll say, you know, I'll be looking at a particular address and I'll ask them, would mm. you take your family for a walk here at nighttime? And that, I mean, typically you'll get the spiel. Oh, I can't I can't tell you on a one to ten scale where this is at, because that means I'm being biased, blah, 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 whatever. But the fact of the matter is, if you make it personal, you, you, you question them personally. Hey, would you walk your family there at nighttime? And they're like, oh, gosh, no. Well, then obviously you probably don't want to invest there. You're looking at a C, CD mm-hmm. class type of an area and. Uh, but it's all about what kind of stuff you're trying to invest in, too. You know, there's some people who just love these types of places. You know, everybody needs a place to live. Um, you know, it's just it's it's really what you're what you're looking to do. But, you know, you so in Cedar Rapids there, you, you talked about being into midterm rentals. And we've had uh, we had the, the CEO of, of Furnish Finder on here and we got a chance to really kind of knock out what the, the midterm rentals are. Um, but I've always been curious how people move to that section because for the longest time it's always been either long-term rentals or short-term rentals and then here over the last few years midterm rentals have become a lot more popular so where did yeah, that so my friend amelia had somehow stumbled into midterm rentals in a different market in iowa about two hours away so i bought an eight unit apartment building which is what's two fourplexes and it had one vacancy so i was like okay this is the perfect opportunity to try a midterm rental i'm only going to spend a few thousand dollars in furnishings and if it doesn't work you know i only tried one well i got bombarded with requests so as i was vacating each unit and rehabbing it I was already lining up a tenant for the next one before it was even done without like any pictures because there was that much demand. So I ended up doing all eight of those units as midterms. So I kind of fell into it just because of the demand. I really rode that demand. And then I ended up taking three or four of my long-term rentals and converting those because I noticed there was a need for houses with yards for people who were traveling with pets. So that's how I got to the all the midterm rentals I have today that was all within one year <laughs> and in terms of noticing that need and I think I've you know I'm, I'm interested in in mid- midterms and kind of how that skews a market or how that def- is defined in a market what what did that look like that research or that kind of technique to pick up um oh there's a there's a demand for that was it through furnish finder data or just inquiries or what did that look yeah like? i went to furnish finder searched their map i saw there was like a handful of listings and i had no idea what that meant was that 
because I didn't know what the demand was until I literally made my listing. So I just took that risk. That was just a blind risk. Um, I just had a pretty good idea like, hey, there's not really that many listings. There are some big hospitals. I feel like this is going to work. And then after that listing, I'd get 10 requests for the property. So then I'd say to the person, hey, you can't get it now, but in three weeks, I'll have the next one. Do you want that? And they'd be like, yes. And I just kept doing that until I had filled like 10 or 12 midterms. I'm curious about what the time demand is on something like this. You know, short-term rentals, we've, we've heard from a lot of people saying this is far more involved than long-term rentals, mainly because there's so many turnovers. So with midterm rentals, and you said, yeah. you, you said you had 13 of them. So what type of time commitment does this require? I would say I was doing five hours a week once they were stabilized. So definitely more than long-term. I think if all my properties were long-term, it'd be like two hours a month. Like theirs is very easy. Um, midterm, yeah, probably 20 hours a month, which to me was still reasonable, but it was also a really great way for me to get the demand to have an internal property manager. So I hired somebody to work for me as a W2 and take that over. Cause with 30 long terms or sorry, 20 long terms, I wouldn't have had the workload to hire somebody, but my midterms helped me get there and hire it out quicker. So that was another huge added bonus. So the yeah the midterms topped up that um, yeah. need I guess that that's really interesting that's a great way of, of looking at it and have you have you outsourced any of the communication and things like that or is that still done by yeah you? so she does everything except for controlling my bank account oh, okay. so I don't even know who my tenants are which is awesome from going from somebody who knows every tenant in my head like I know what they look like I know who they are to I have no clue who's in my properties right now. And what's your, in terms of when you're analyzing midterm rentals, do you have like a rule of thumb? So so I guess the context is we have a, a short-term rental and we were like, well, what's the break even if we had to do it as a long-term rental? Oh, it, it's still, it's not going to cash flow, but it's also not going to put us in the poorhouse. Um, is that kind of the your calculations or is there a bit more to it? Than that? Yeah, I don't think the midterm rental market's been around long enough with this demand to understand how long it will stay. So I definitely wanted them to be able to work as a long-term rental. They're not going to be a home run at a long-term rental, but it will work. That was my rule of thumb. curious about the employee that you have if you don't mind breaking down a little bit do you still have this employee that takes care of them okay um curious how how do you this is something that i'm just curious for my own my own person i don't have an employee I, I run everything through property managers and bookkeepers and such but i've considered hiring somebody just to take the care of the day-to-day how do you how do you pay this person is this you know are they on a, is it like a sales job or do you pay them commissions or is this something somebody you have on you said w2 so i'm guessing yeah like so she's i pay her 20 dollars an hour which for my area is pretty good especially for an online job because yeah, i didn't want to mess around with hiring a 13 dollar an hour attitude and a 13 dollar an hour ability i just went straight to this is what i think is fair and i want somebody who's capable Um, And I found someone who was a project manager. She just does this on the side for me. She logs five to ten hours a week. Um, Lately, it's really been like five hours a week. And not any commission yet. I've been wanting to work that out. I just haven't. But I did the math. So I make like $25,000 of gross income every month. 
if I hired a property manager at 10%, that's 2500 More than likely, I'd probably have to hire them at 20% for all my midterm rentals. So that's closer to 5000 I pay her less than 1000 So for me to just go straight to that $20 an hour, I was doing the difference between 1000 and 5000 Like that's huge savings and the quality yeah, control. Sure. That was something I was not willing to to do. I was not willing to step down my quality because I bought my eight unit from a professionally managed, and I'm doing air quotes, professionally managed company. <laughs> and there was so much money on the table. There was coin laundry not working. There was broken down cars in the parking lot. It was under rented. It was rented to terrible tenants in a great neighborhood. So I was just like, I'm not willing to go there. That sounds mm-hmm. like the perfect asset right there. That's great. So so how do you find these people? Did you post something on Indeed that you said you were looking for, for somebody to work remotely? This, and person, is this person is about a 25-minute drive. She does 99% of her work remotely um, because I am like five minutes away from my properties, which I'm hoping to move so that I can just be not doing anything um, in person. I posted on Indeed, and I posted on LinkedIn. I don't think I got a single like response. I ended up posting in a Facebook investor group and she replied and and applied to it in like a day and I honestly I think I got super super lucky but an investor group is a perfect place to find somebody who's interested and willing to learn um because that's going to be the best of both worlds you're going to get somebody who's excited about it and they are going to get invaluable knowledge about how to build a successful real estate portfolio so that's what I would do if I were going to do it again stick to investor groups that's good advice. Yeah, find seek out people that want to be yeah. in the space, and uh, after the work's done, right? People are curious. Kyle, I want to take a little um, journey to the left or right of where we're <laughs> at the moment, which is we're on a bit of a creative finance journey at the moment, and I want to dig into how you've, I guess, the inertia of money and how you've built this um, portfolio kind of from from the ground up um, with, I guess, creative financing. Um, I'm assuming traditional financing means, but can you talk us through kind of the broad strokes of what that looks like? Yeah, creative financing is anything other than your typical cash offer or financed offer. And there's a million ways to do quote-unquote creative financing. There's seller financing, there's wrap mortgage, there's a lease sandwich, sub two, whatever you want to call it. There's a million ways to do it. And the best part is that when you go to a bank, Three of your four deal terms are fixed. The only thing you get to change is the purchase price. So your interest rate, your down payment, and your term length are fixed by the bank. When you do creative financing, you get to make all four of those. And that's where the magic happens. And then in regard to your your journey, what's that look like in terms of, I guess, learning that creative finance piece, but actually using it and kind of gearing up through different assets yeah so i've i did a mentorship with jen and joe delafave uh learning about creative financing pretty pretty soon into my um journey i guess um and i just went i just learned it and immediately started talking to sellers messed up a ton of phone calls had no clue what i was doing but i learned it probably took me three or four months to get like my first creative deal um And since then, so in the last like year and a half, maybe two years, I've probably done 10 to 15 creative deals. I've wholesaled a few and done the rest myself. Um, And I just got another creative deal under contract for 25 years last night. So super exciting. (laughs) 
25 years. That's a yeah. that's a good chunk of time right there. That's a, now one sec. Did you yeah. see a lease sandwich? Did I hear you? Say, what in the world is a lease sandwich? It's kind of like oh, rent like to that. own, but where you are kind of also doing rental arbitrage. So a good example is if you're dealing with somebody who has a time-sensitive lien, for example, maybe a historical grant that's going to have to be paid back if you aren't in the property for X amount of years. You could do an option agreement to buy it and then start renting it and re-rent it. So it's like an arbitrage with rent to own. And that option agreement is what basically gives you the right to purchase it at X price in X amount of years. So maybe it's like three years. You have three years to purchase this property for 100K. But the reason you're waiting is for that lien to expire. Like some or down payment assistance. Mm-hmm. A lot of buyers okay. have down payment assistance and they have to be in the property for five years. Otherwise, they have to pay it back. So you want to wait because you don't want to have to pay that extra 10K or 20K or whatever. And then you go and you either rent it long term, mid term, short term, or you also give a option deposit to a rent to own tenant. So it, you can do whatever you want. It's yeah. Lease sandwich. Okay. I like it. I'm going to have to Google it. If I Google it, will I find something or is it going to be something delicious <laughs> from Jimmy John's? Is that, <laughs> this is what is. Yeah, I don't know if that's, that's did you make funny. this up or is this I this, think this you a real would find term, it. Right? I mean, I almost did one with this property that I okay, got for 25 years. I almost did that because she had a down payment assistance loan that would have put her at negative equity if I had paid off. So I almost did that, but I ended up editing it and changing it to for a win-win situation, which is the beauty of creative financing. Gotcha. I'm curious, so sticking on creative financing, what type, I mean, you talked about the different terms that you can set, but what do you look for? So what does one of your offers look like when you find something you think would make a great long-term or mid-term rental? What, what, do you, what is the, I mean, obviously 25 years mm-hmm. for a fixed term is phenomenal. What do you shoot for and what so do you So I have two with? kind of buy boxes. If it's a fixer-upper, I don't need a long-term length. I need months, not years, to fix it up. And so I'll tell them, I'll give you your price, but can you wait six months for me to give it to you? And that just saves me my interest payments, going and finding a private money or hard money or using my own cash. And they're like, yeah, sure, I can. I guess I can wait a little bit to get that better price. Or maybe they have they owe what it's worth, so it doesn't matter anyways because they're not getting any money. And then the second thing, so that's like my fixers. If I'm getting a really long term length and taking over a really good note, I want it to be turnkey because I don't want to put any money into it because I don't want to refinance because I already have my super good um, terms. So this 25 year one, it's 3.6%. So I want to put as little as money in it as possible because I'm never going to refinance 3.6%. So I don't want to dump money into it. That makes sense. And in terms of finding these properties and finding these sellers, how do you, how do you do that? You, the, the the dream scenario <laughs> is is the one you talked through from yesterday, right? How did you how did you find that person? How did you find that? Yeah, person? so I have a super big, super big. Okay, that's not accurate, but I have a strong Facebook presence for my business. It's called Good Morning Investments. And I'm always just posting about my business, before and afters, how we can buy off market and save you realtor fees, buy as is, all that good stuff. Talking about my referral program. So if you tell me an address of somewhere that's for sale off market and I close, I'll give you $1,000. Just like that. You don't even have to do anything except for give me the address. And also a lot of like cheesy stuff that people who tend to spend a lot of time on Facebook love. 
So that's where I'm really nurturing those leads and I'm turning everybody who's watching my Facebook into mini billboards for me with that referral program. So every time I'm telling my audience, hey, I want to give you $1,000, who do you know that's selling off market? I get so many leads and all three houses I've closed this year have been referrals. So it's somebody who doesn't even necessarily know me, but they know somebody who knows me. That person gets $1,000. The seller gets to sell their house off market, not pay realtor fees, sell as is. And then I get an off market deal. Yeah, I, I think that's that's phenomenal. I mean, that's really building your brand at the same time, right? I mean, you've got a brand to build because you've got a specific mm-hmm. goal in mind for your business. And, and that's a great way to go about doing it. Now, you talk about off-market properties. Do you ever look at on-market properties? Do you ever see any, any uh, I know with creative financing, on-market t- typically tends to be very difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult. Do you ever look at on-market properties? Or it is a lot harder for me because I'm used to the off-market world. Um And I like to be in control of the conversation. I like people coming to me with the referral program. If you are going on market, I don't think I've ever bought a property on market. Um, Yeah, I don't think I ever have. If you are on market, you're going to look for those those really long days on market. um, And be telling them, hey, if I can get your seller their price and the realtors commission paid are you open to a conversation about seller financing and you want to make sure that you have the realtor and the seller on the same phone call because you cannot risk letting the realtor butcher what's going on to the seller because they will because if they knew what creative financing was they would have already sold the property so that's my advice <laughs> what, what are those conversations with and and i guess more more so um for for the non-on market or the off market even um, properties. What do those conversations with a seller typically look like? Are there is there, you know, I guess a lot of education for them, and then kind of shaping the world in how you see it, that kind of thing. Is, is that? Fair? Yeah. So the first thing my mentors ever told me was, they're not real estate investors. They don't need to understand how it works. They need usually a set few questions answered, and they're good to go. So there's a few ways that you can go after the conversation depending on what the situation is. Obviously, first and foremost, you have to figure out why they're selling. And creative financing a lot of times is distressed sellers, not distressed properties. And as burrs, burr investors or flippers, we're used to the distressed property, so the really crappy fixer-upper, when it's definitely a mindset switch with creative financing. So um, one way I like to frame the conversation is if they have a really nice house, I'll say, hey, typically what we do, we go and we make all cash lowball offers and on houses that are really disgusting and people accept it because they don't want to fix it up. Your house is really pretty. You're obviously not going to accept my lowball offer, although I'm happy to make it if you're interested. A way that I can give you full price is, is by selling on terms. Are you interested in talking about this? And they'll be like, yeah, oh, thank you. Like you basically anchored them low with your lowball offer, but then you're saying, I do have another solution. Are you interested in hearing it? And a lot of the times they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want the lowball. We want the good offer. And that's how you can pitch selling on terms or slash creative financing slash seller financing. That's a great way to use the psychology of this to, I mean, it's, I, I do this myself, and it's it's nothing where you're trying to take advantage of this person. It's really just trying to figure mm-hmm. out what it is that their needs are. 
And if you can pitch it in a way where it sounds like, look, I'm trying to accomplish what you want. I'm also going to accomplish what I want, and you're upfront about that, then, I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine, and, and it's really the best way to go. Um, in terms of the financing, you know, you start out, let's say that you're, you're getting something that you need to put some money into, so it's going to be short-term, and you plan on refinancing out later. So when you refinance out later, um, this is typically into a long-term note because you said you don't, you don't sell, right? Have you have you had to uh, I guess change your creative financing method to account for the change in, in current market conditions with interest rates? Yeah, definitely. You got to adjust running your numbers, so you just got to get a better deal because interest rates are worse. So that's I'm still running the numbers in terms of cash flow the same, no matter how I'm acquiring it. But it also is really increasing the importance of finding those long term deals, those long note creative financing deals. And are you getting much pushback from people? Because I would assume that, you know, when you run your numbers the same, but your refinance strategy changes, then probably offers are going to be a little bit lower, or you're going to ask for a lower interest rate or maybe a longer fixed term. Are you getting more pushback from people compared to maybe what you were getting a year ago? Um, I just tell people, hey, the market's changing. And, you know, I try not to go in and, again, I try not to educate. And a lot of times people believe you and again I'm not here to schmooze or scam anybody like I try to be very honest and I try to always make a win-win situation but the good thing is with creative financing is if even if it is a lower price there are still ways for them to make more money um, by either waiting for that final price or selling it at a little bit of interest or um, you know there's just you get a you get to operate all for pillars of the deal instead of just one so you can really twist and pull and push thank you for listening to this episode of investories podcast and uh, as you can imagine we're super stoked with that content amazing strategies amazing techniques um, that we've really been able to dig into and uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that which is really all about Uh, the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same we're going to call it Wednesday wins and we're going to tackle that on the next episode thank you for listening to the investories podcast we all have a story what's yours the investories podcast